Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we've got a lot to talk about, so let's uh, dig right into this, what promises to be a six-hour extravaganza. Oh my gosh. Or, or hopefully not. <laughs> uh, let's start out with New Mutants number 32. Yeah, let's start out with New Mutants number 32. This uh, this is a departure from Mr. Sinkevich. Sinkevich, Bill. It's, it's Steve Lealoha, who attempts to do some Sinkevich-type things, but is more of your standard artist. Um, he's, I think he's also the inker for Secret Wars, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I like the art in this issue. It's, it's definitely not Bill's Sinkevich. Am I saying that right? Sinkevich. Sinkevich. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's like all of a sudden it doesn't sound right in my head. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely different. But it seems as though you know he's he's making a uh, stab at uh, his own little uh, uh, well his own little approach, and I like it. I think he's a busy guy. Yeah. Uh, so this is basically um, the old mutants versus the new mutants, and that's what the cover says. Yeah, and the cover has the uh, well, basically two young new mutants, Ilyana and Mirage, uh, Danny Moonstar, and then the rest of them are old and gross. Yeah, <laughs> it's got uh, your your you know S S and M uh, Rain, and- old and gross Rain. Yeah, and then uh, you've got Sunspot, who's who's old and gross. and gross. Yeah, and then old and gross Cannonball, who actually kind of looks like maybe a young Magneto. He's got a yeah. Okay, I can see that. And who's the woman in the middle? That's Magma. Oh, okay. old, old and gross Magma. Right, she didn't have red hair, so I didn't recognize her. She's got a blue fire hair. Yeah, that's cold fire. Oh yeah, she's cold and old. She's cold as ice. All right, so these new mutants that uh, that are still running around, uh, they got away from the gladiators, right? Yeah, they're they're at the end of the last issue. They decided they were going to go off on their own, uh, searching for karma because they don't feel like they they they, they want to do this themselves. Kitty Pride gave it the a okay, and so the uh, the team now adds uh, Doug Ramsey to the fold as well as well. Warlock has always been there. Right, those two characters are welcomed back into the to the adventures. But isn't Doug Ramsey an official member, or wasn't he already an official member? I never. I mean, he he. I guess I guess he was. I guess as starting with the Legion story, he was uh, an official member, but he's never really felt like an official member until this. Damn, it always seemed like a tag along. Speaking of Legion, I, I didn't get a chance to watch it, so we'll we'll have to put that on our agenda to talk about next week. Oh, I did watch it. Okay. Second episode airs tonight. I if know. You, uh, if you want to chronicle what time we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be a little bit behind that, just like we're a little bit behind on everything we do. But uh, yeah, they're going to head off after Karma to find out the mystery uh, of why she became so darn big and so darn evil and if necessary they're gonna stop her by any means sunspot does a lot of moping around in this issue he's got a really short fuse in this issue and uh he's he's pretty upset and someone I've... someone refers to the fact that ever since we bumped into the beyonder roberto's been pretty off uh high, had a pretty short fuse um I don't know if that's happened yet, or I don't even know if that ever really does happen. I think his character is going to develop into, you know, a emo-y, moody kid, 
as he goes on. And I think he becomes one of the charter attitudinal members of X-Force later on. Um, I, Maybe. I, I can't remember that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember either. But uh, don't, don't, don't most of the New Mutants get dumped? Most of them, but I, I feel like Sunspot sticks around. Maybe I, I might be wrong. But I feel uh, like they keep Cannonball and that's it. Really? Boom Boom. Well, but yeah. we don't even know who Boom Boom is yet. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so yeah, there's a little bit of reflection on the original team as well. Um, it's cute uh, when when Warlock has to turn them uh, into a helicopter to get them off to, well, wherever they're going. Oh, where they're going is very important. This is the Pacific Island nation of Madripoor. Oh. First appearance of Madripoor. Damn it, yeah. I, I even meant to make like a, a little uh, check mark, like we got to talk about Madripoor. Wolverine owns a freaking bar here. Well, he, he co-owns it. We don't know that yet. No, we don't, but I do. <laughs> is that under his patch guys or is it under his Logan guys? I don't know if he has a patch guys yet in Madripoor. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if the patch only shows up starting with Wolverine number one or if like Wolverine number one, he's been to Madripoor before. He co-owns this bar, the princess bar. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if he's been Patch or if his Patch is established or if his Patch is established. But yeah, yeah, they, they go to Madripoor and uh, they're, you know, hanging out on the beach and stuff. Looks like they're playing volleyball with Warlock. I did a little research because I was curious. Madripoor is based on Singapore. It's not a real place. I actually didn't realize it was or wasn't a real place. I always thought it was for some reason, but in true comic book form, of course, it's not. Yeah, I never really thought to look it up. Uh, one way or the other, but it not existing makes sense. I mean, with as corrupt as it is, it would be kind of a you know kind of selling uh, it out if Chris Claremont kept writing about you know it. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's very loosely based on Singapore. Like I think Chris Claremont went there once and was like, "This place is seedy. <laughs> I'm going to make my own place, and Wolverine will own a bar there." <laughs> Uh, anyways, yeah, so they, they, uh, they, they get there and they're going to, they're going to wait till nightfall and that's when they're going to make their move. So she moves pretty quickly. They formulate, they figure out where Karma, uh, she owns a mountain villa that they are stalking on the beach. And in the next issue, they, or the next uh, page of them finding it, they are sneaking into it on nightfall. Mm Mm-hmm. They're sneaking in. Ilyana offers to teleport them, but they don't want to take any chances. Hmm. Too risky. And uh, Rain eventually just kind of takes off on her own. Uh, I think at that point she has been taken over by Karma, or maybe she, well, very shortly she gets taken over by Karma. Right. Um, Meanwhile, back at the beach, Doug and Warlock are ambushed, uh, presumably by Karma, although we don't actually see it. Right. The, the plan essentially goes pretty badly. Uh, Ileana brings in a bunch of monsters from Limbo to help them out, and uh, pretty much most of the most of the new moons get captured yeah. by Karma. Raina ends up attacking Mirage at one point. Mirage doesn't quite know what's going on, but that's when we kind of figure out that Rain's been uh, taken over by Karma. Karma makes her appearance, uh, and she still is quite large and quite in charge, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she ends up possessing everybody except for Ilyana, who's, uh, because of her own magics, karma, karma's magic can't affect her uh, or has very little effect on her. And uh, she's able to intercede and also snag Mirage and uh, teleport them to Limbo. Just, just the two of them. Yes, just the two of them. And that's when Sim shows up. Good eye. Good eye, boss. Job for us then, eh? 
Um, they take a little time, I guess, to recuperate. It doesn't really doesn't really say how much time passes as they're in limbo. But yeah, Yuliana gathers up the troops. They're going to go back in and figure out, uh, try to get their friends back, I guess. Yeah, I mean, time moves differently in limbo, as we've determined. So maybe they're here a week, maybe they're here a couple of hours. But uh, Well, that, that's kind of explained later on, and we'll, we'll sort of get to that. Well, it, it's, it's not consistent, but... I just you mean know. in limbo. It, they could have been there two weeks, and then when she teleports out, it could be like the next minute. Uh, or in this case, when they teleport back, all of the uh, gladiators who are guarding Karma's house, they're all dead. Yes. Um, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, and, and Ileana's monsters are also dead, and Mirage points out that they've been killed by the New Mutants. The New Mutants massacred these people. Yeah, uh, more than likely, or I mean, they 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 rationalize that it was karma as possession. Uh, obviously, they still feel pretty bad about it. Well, it's their their co their teammates and stuff. Yeah, as they should. The police show up. They're looking for. Well, I guess the police have been alerted to what's going on. Uh, Sim points this out. Presumably, karma set them up. Yep, and so uh, they disappear back to limbo. And uh, according to Doug's research, Karma has another place in uh, in Cairo. And this is when we kind of learn about how magic seems to have the ability to jump back and forth between limbo without any craziness happening with time. Right. As long as she doesn't move to a different location. But she says if if we're going to Cairo, it's a different location, so we could shift in time. And Mirage says it's worth it, but they end up shifting uh, into – they make it to Cairo, but they go way back into the past. And Mirage was really pushing, like, you got to do this. And Magic was like, ah, you know, there's this thing that could happen, and uh, I don't want to have to tell you I told you so. Mirage pushes, and and yep, they end up in ancient Cairo, and Magic's like, look, see, I told you so. (laughs) They get chased around by some Egyptians and end up bumping into someone that they think is Storm. But it's not. It's a a shake. Which is somehow Storm's great, 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 great grandmother. And she's a wizard or a sorceress, and she's able to see that they're in the wrong time. Somehow she knows. Does she know that they know a distant relative of hers? Yeah, she says, I can see in your memories the face of my granddaughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many times removed. I'm happy about that. All right. (laughs) And so she basically uses her magic to teleport them back, or does she use her magic to She doesn't really do anything. (laughs) She kind of says, I'm going to answer your questions later, and then they just say the following day. Yeah. Um. But, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they're really tired and she 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 casts a healing spell over them, making them feel better. Right, but they end up in future Cairo. Yeah, they teleport again and now they're in future Cairo. We get some oddly dressed citizens of Cairo and they get attacked by the old mutants from the cover. Right. You got old uh um uh, magma shooting fire at them old wolf spain yeah all old all of them yep they're gross and they're like hey look it's our old friends magic and mirage you guys should come with us we've missed you girls uh creepy girls yeah and uh i like this i like this drawing though they look pretty skeevy <laughs> yeah uh you're talking about the middle panel here on page 20 yeah yeah definitely it's a good uh portrait of all four of them just looking all 
evil and old and stuff. And they're like, well, uh, you're going to join us. Uh, but that's when I think magic teleports them yet again. And this time they make it to the right place. And Mirage is like, ah, I can't believe that's going to be the future. What, what's, are we going to be able to stop it? This is just like what happened before when we saw they were friends with the Hellions. We don't even know if that's still going to happen. Your power sucks. And Magic's like, look, I told you. I told you this was going to happen. You shouldn't be yelling at me. I gave us alternatives, but you made me use my power. And that's when a familiar voice from off panel says, uh, I'll help you. <laughs> and uh, Magic's like, uh, Shake? And she's like, or Mirage says, Ororo, but how? And, uh... Mm-hmm. Turns out that Warlock was not able to be taken over by Karma's talent, just like magic, and he was able to escape, and he somehow fled to Cairo and found Storm. Right. Not sure why he went to Cairo. <laughs> well, I mean... I guess he had the same intel that Ilyana and Mirage had, so yeah. he just pieced it together. I guess it makes sense that she's here, right? Because of Africa and Storm? And life death. Well, this is where she went next. Yeah. 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 So it all, you're asking your, you've been asking yourselves, like, why are they covering the new mutants in such depth? Well, here's why. Because here's Storm and probably the continuation of life death. Well, next chapter. It has yeah. nothing to do with life death. It's just what happens. No, it next. has <laughs> nothing to do with life death, but it continues directly from life death. I didn't mean to mislead our listeners, Adam. I apologize. <laughs> Life Desk Part 3. <laughs> the next issue is Barry Windsor Smith. Oh, my God. And so the three of them, I don't know. Oh, and I guess uh, Warlock all put their hands in the middle uh, to team up uh, to, as the next uh, blurb says, to go against all odds. Yeah, they're going to work together to stop karma and rescue the humans and stop whining about it. Stop whining and do something. And so that turns our attention over to the amazing Spider-Man number 266, where on the cover uh, we have uh, black-clad Spider-Man fighting off Frogman and Toad. Yeah, whatever happened to Toad? Well, we're about to find out. Spoilers, this has nothing to do with the X-Men. Only Toad. Hey, you know, we sometimes we like to follow up on what the villains are doing, like the classic villains. Like we we check out the Magneto appearances, mm-hmm. Juggernaut, mm-hmm. Blob. You got to. Um, I mean, that guy that died, <laughs> Eunice. Eunice. Eventually, the, the van- untouchable. The, the Vanisher's got to show up again. That's right. We haven't seen him since he was divided in half in yeah. the Nightcrawler world. If I'm not mistaken, I think we'll see him in Secret Wars too. But if not there, then definitely we'll see him in the pages of X Factor. Okay. This uh, issue is written by Peter David, uh, and I, I'm, I, I'm familiar with Peter David's work, but not intimately familiar with Peter David's work. Is this uh, typical of what he does? Um, well, this is very early Peter David, so he's not legendary Peter David yet. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. But uh, yeah, occasionally he will do these kind of one-off sort of quirky, fun, goofy sort of, you might want to call them filler issues. You might not. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the world of Amazing Spider-Man 260, or Amazing Spider-Man, but uh, this is just a fun issue. Yeah, it's this, I, I seriously doubt this matters in any way, shape, or form in the the life of Spider-Man. There's some black cat stuff going on and some, yeah. yeah, some makeup breakup partner stuff, but we don't care about that. So there's a little bit of story tied in, but really it's all about Toad. And Toad, he wants to commit suicide. He's on the side of a building. He's about to jump and the people below are like, well, it's specifically one guy just going, jump! Well, and there's Come like, on! 
But there's like a crowd surrounding too, and he he is the only one that's that's uh, uh, chiding him on to jump. But everybody else is kind of like smiling and like they all seem to be cheering for this poor guy to plummet to his death. Well, it's just the guy behind him with the toothpick in his mouth looks like he couldn't care less. Yeah, he's like I'm just here to see the show. You know what would make this day interesting? If that dude jumped. Spider-Man, he's in his red and blue suit, and he's swinging around, and he sees that somebody's about to jump. And so he decides that he'll interfere. The guy that's been egging him on, he, he's, come on, jump, come on, jump. The cop is like, hey, man, stifle it, Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> and Toad's like, all right. Uh, yes, for once, I'm going to do something worthwhile with my life. And it. And he does. He jumps off of the side of the building only to be captured or caught rather by Spider-Man who says, hey, Slim, jumping off a fifth story, 15th story ledges against the law. You could be fine for this. Uh, takes him up to a building and says, it, hey, don't kill yourself. I can't. Chum, I, can't I can't even kill myself right, Toad laments. Well, we all got our troubles. Spider-Man says life is good. You know, uh, what's your name? Mortimer. Hey, Mortimer. Uh, I saved your life, didn't I, Morty? That makes us buddies. And uh, Toad is like, really? You're my friend? This isn't just a joke? He says, of course. I cross my heart and hope to die. And he brings um, Toad back down to the ground. The police, the police are like, uh, hey, Spider-Man's not such a men menace after all. He saved that guy. And a jerk face guy is like, yeah, one freak saved another. And that's when Spider-Man thwips his mouth. Spider -Man. Uh, which I mean shoots web stuff on his mouth. <laughs> Gross. Uh, he, he, the police do take Mortimer away uh, because I guess the attempted suicide is illegal. Or maybe they just recognized him from a U.S. post office wanted poster. Hey, it's the infamous Toad. Arrest that man. I don't know. I don't I know guess either. They have to file the paperwork. Yeah, maybe they got to take him down to the station and run him through for questions or something. But as he's sitting in the back of the police car, he's like, he actually stuck up for me. I'll be back, friend, before you know it, and I'll never abandon you, ever. Slightly creepy. <laughs> Just a little bit. And that's when you get some Spider-Man black cat stuff. That, you care about Apparently you. this blah, is blah, very blah, important blah. before something that happens in Peter Parker, Spider-Man number 100, but... I didn't read it, so I don't know. Spider-Man eventually, for whatever reason, puts his uh, black spider suit on. And during a crime that Spider-Man is trying to thwart, Toad shows up in his classic Toad outfit and jumps on some of the villains uh, to help out the Toad. Harm I'm one web on his head and you'll face the wrath of the Toad. And Spider-Man's like, hey, man, you're the Toad. Aren't you one of the evil mutants? No way, I'm Mortimer. <laughs> yeah, remember we we just met. We're best friends, remember? Wait, that was you? I didn't recognize you. All right. Apparently, he's been he's had a couple weeks of therapy, so it's been a few weeks. He's a new man. I don't even need to go back for sessions anymore. Which explains why he changed his costume, Spider-Man that is. Spider-Man says, "The doctor's told you that uh, you're okay?" And and uh, Toad's like, "Nope." I told me that. They just said my progress was remarkable. Either way, I'm ready to accept your offer, Spider-Man. I'm going to be your new partner, friend. No, I should have pushed him off. I should have pushed him off, Spider-Man thinks to himself. Somebody is watching on the news, and it turns out to be the fabulous Frogman. He... 
is Chubby not little red haired kid. He is not happy about this. He's like, hey man, I'm the only one that hops around. But the the coolest part is when he he fist pumps his silhouette as a giant frog, e- even though he's a man. Mm, it's his it's his costume, I think. Well, I don't think he's wearing his costume. I think. Well, it's, I know. Yeah. I, I, it's it's a cool effect. I yeah, agree. that's all. And so Spider Man is. Uh, webbing around, maybe trying to ditch Toad, but he's not happy when Toad finally shows up. <laughs> Your Toad is more like, um, um, like the old Igor. That's a, and, yeah. And 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 I can't do that, so mine ends up sounding like Ren from Ren and Stimpy. They're both very similar, though. <laughs> they are. <laughs> and uh, Toad's like, "Hey, man." You should, uh, I almost lost you back there, but I, I found you. <laughs> Spider-Man's not having any of it. Like, look, I got, I got to go home. Um, we're friends maybe, but, uh, we're not partners. I'm done with the partner thing. Toad. And Toad asks, you don't like me because I'm a mutant? And Spider-Man, Spider-Man like, says, how oh, do you know I'm not a mutant? I don't, but I'm willing to be your partner anyway. And Spider-Man, he just had kind of a partner breakup thing with Black Cat, so now he's imagining Toad uh, as Black Cat, which is kind of disturbing. <laughs> couldn't you try to? Couldn't you try me in the Black Cat's place? Yeah. So, is this a part of Spider-Man's costume that his eyes get to be expressive with his emotions? Or, uh, yeah, that, I think that's always been a part of. Well, maybe not in the beginning, but. Yeah, it's as as long as I can think about it. His, of course, this is the uh, the black outfit. This, this is the black Venom costume, but I feel like the red costume eventually starts doing this too. Mm. It's uh, it's very Deadpool. Yeah, but I think it's what what gave birth to the Deadpool, right? I think. Spider Man says, uh, "Look, I don't think I can imagine you as Black Cat, but what about this? How about we do a twenty-four hour cooling off period? Uh, I'm going to go, and then we'll meet up at the same time tomorrow, uh, and we'll talk uh, at the docks. See you then." And Toad is unable to keep up with Spider Man and ends up hanging off the side of a ledge of a building that he's too short. Uh, well, his jump is too short to reach the uh, roof of. And Spider-Man doesn't even notice and just kind of goes away. That's, hey, I'll, I'll meet you tomorrow, 7 a.m. by the docks. We can grab some breakfast afterwards and we'll just, we'll call it even. And Toad starts to scheme. Well, he, he he laments about his poor treatment that, that now he's sensing from Spider-Man that he used to get from Magneto or the children in the af- orphanage that he grew up in. Um, Do we know anything about that? No. I think this is the first time we're hearing about... Uh, his orphanage days. Perhaps the last time? Uh, I don't remember. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the orphans are gone. Magneto is gone. And I'm still here. And I'm the toad. You'll want me for your partner. You will want me. <laughs> Frogman um, is is overhearing. Uh, no, this is actually not Frogman. I thought it was as well. But there is a third character who appears. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. It's yep. the third character. There's a, I can't even remember who the third character is right now. Right. But so I just remember that it's him. Unseen presence hears Toad's soliloquy and says, we'll see. So Tomorrow at the dock, 7 a.m., you'll see just how much you need the Toad, Stimpy. <laughs> so later, even later that day, Toad goes off in his Mortimer Toyin B getup or his plain clothes to a bar over here, some people talking about that rotten Spider-Man, and Toad's like, well, I know how to squash him. And he gets the interest of the bar, and the bar's all like, really? 
You. You know, huh? Yes, he'll be at the docks tomorrow. Who's with me? We'll squash him. And everyone's like, yeah. There's like 47 guys. We're like, we're going to be the guys who finished off Spider-Man. One of them calls him Mr. British Hoity Toity, which leads me to believe that Toad has a British accent. Uh, let's see. So that would be, uh... No, I'm not even going to attempt it, but I'm just saying. Quite right. He's a needless pest. Quite right. He's a needless pest. <laughs> Man, that's <laughs> not going to work. That I know how to squash. It's, it's kind of there. It's getting there. Anyways, yeah, so there's 47 guys who are off to finish off Spider-Man. And that's, so Toad's plan is that these 47 guys are going to ambush Spider-Man at their meeting tomorrow, and Toad's going to help save him. So as he's walking away, he's talking to himself about how exhilarating this is and how nothing could depress him except for the person who is spying on him. And he turns around and uh, jumps over the red-haired kid who is Frogman. I didn't mean to scare you. I just wanted in on some of the action. Scare me? You're just a punk, kid. I'll have you know I've been scared by experts. Uh, I mean, forget that. Look, kid, go home. This ain't for you. He was... He was whisked off to a different planet by the stranger. I mean, come that, on. Yeah, that is pretty serious. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a good line. You should have phoned that one in. I know, right? Besides, you shouldn't be out this late. It's a school night. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he say, oh, Viper. Viper is his dog's name. So Viper he says, Viper, Spidey's harboring a Viper in his bosom. No, I think oh. he's calling Toad a Viper. Got it. You're right. Well, anyways, a dog walks up and pees on his leg while he's doing <laughs> exactly. this. It's not his dog. It's just a random dog. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks a, a lot, dog. Thanks a whole lot. Yeah, so meanwhile, Peter Parker does some more Peter Parker stuff, talks to a girl on his roof, puts on his outfit, and heads off to the docks. Man, I, I must be crazy. I'm leaving an extremely amenable young woman alone at... At 7 a.m. when I, I could be hanging out with her and instead I'm going to go hang out with a guy who looks like five miles of bad road. Oh, well, promise is a promise. Spider sense goes off. No, actually, his spider sense does go off and he also hears a sproing and it's the Frogman. And Frogman's like, you're walking into a trap set up by the toad. Are you sure? And that's, that's when what... two cars pull up and like... Four people get out. Well, actually, it's like seven, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nine. It's nine, yeah. And Toad gets out and says, Hey, Toad, hey, the Toad, uh, don't worry, Spider-Man. Hey, the Toad will save you from, I don't know where I'm going with this <laughs> accent now, will save you from the 47 dangerous gunmen. You mean nine, don't you? And they don't even look like they're in such good shape. Nine? And you're hungover? At least we're standing, says a guy in the back. And that's when Frogman's like, I, they're both vying for Spider-Man's uh, attention here. And Spider-Man's like, what? I, like, I don't need either of you. <laughs> Stop it. And they keep fighting over who was the one who saved Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's like, you didn't save me. And that's when the nine people start firing their guns. Spider-Man's dodging all the bullets, and Toad and Frogman do leapy things to each one other. Of, one of them, one of the thugs says, let them have it. There's only six of them. And another thug says, you're seeing double, dimwit. Shoot quieter. Because <laughs> he has a headache. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so Spider-Man knocks all the nine guys out with one swinging kick, and uh, Toad and Frog keep fighting. Toad gets flung into an exotic pet store where a whole bunch of frogs and toads I guess start leaping out <laughs> I'm on candid camera right says Spider-Man yeah, Spider he's lousy with frogs what's next 
Frogman, stay away from Toad. Don't get cocky, kid. Come on, Toady, let's go do the hop. And uh, apparently Frogman can't control his direction yeah, well, when he's he jumps. just jumping around on springs. Yeah, I guess he has I think, no... I think I can't control his direction after Toad jumps on him. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily have powers. He just has springs in a frog costume. Which, you know, is kind of an ability to be able to manage not to fall over. Yeah. A man is about to shoot Spider-Man in the back when Spidey's uh, spider sense goes off. But uh, before the man can shoot, a frog jumps onto the man's gun. And he's like, ew, ick, ick. And he drops the gun with the frog on it. Spider-Man punches Thanks, him. Thanks, frog. Yeah, Spider-Man punches him in the face and the frog jumps on the villain's head. And uh, the uh, toad and frogman keep fighting one another. A couple of uh, more thugs show up. And that's when the spectacular spider kid shows up and he's like a kind of a pudgy spider-man outfit wearing dr octopus arm having twerp (laughs) right and he's here i guess he's probably the voice that we saw earlier but he overheard all of this and now he's here to save spider-man and toad and uh frogman look at each other and say did you hear yes i heard let's get him so yep. now they've teamed up to battle Spectacular Spider Spider Kid. Meanwhile, Spider Man is flipping over cars in order to stop the actual thugs with guns. Yeah, the gun the thugs are shooting at Spider Kid with guns, and Spider Kid's like, "Whoa, they can't do that!" As the Spider Kid goes after the car with his little tentacles, and the car flips over, and he's like, "Oh my God, I did it! I'm a hero!" But really, it was Spider Man who flipped over the car. And uh, Dream on, Ollie. Whoever I guess Ollie is the Spider Kid's real name. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never heard of this Spider Kid before. I've heard of Frogman. Obviously, I've heard of Toad. Yeah, I'm not sure who Frogman is either. Spider Kid has got glasses, like regular glasses, on over his spider costume. It's very silly. So Frogman and Toad are trying to take out Spider-Kid. Spider-Kid's able to dodge out of the way, causing Toad Man, or Toad and Frogman to crash into each other, <laughs> ultimately landing on Spider-Kid. Now they're just a pile of pathetic, really pathetic. And guys, I've had it. Toad, I'd advise you to go back to the shrink. Frogman, you put the in into inept. And kid, if your parents knew about this, they'd stick you in a six-arm straitjacket. My responsibility ends here. Uh, you three misfits deserve each other. I'm out of here. And that's when the three of them were like, hey, did he just call us misfits? We should be a team. We should call ourselves the misfits. Misfits? That's appropriate. <laughs> and so they go off to to be a team called the misfits and my only question is uh do the misfits ever return and do anything i don't think so (laughs) but we'll keep an eye out for him i believe toad's next appearance i don't know that he ever he refers to this he's i don't know if he's still a misfit member it's it's possible that he is but he just doesn't bring it up i don't know we'll keep an eye out for it i can't wait spider-man can think of more appropriate names like the all wiener squad squad the Oi Team or the Spastic Three. Spider-Man's so funny. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so I read uh, some of my usual stuff. Alpha Flight number 27. Uh, and this one, uh, last issue, Alpha Flight was mostly defeated by the robot guardian doppelganger. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the team, Box, Shaman, Aurora, and Sasquatch are searching for other through other dimensions for a body for Sasquatch to reside in since his 
His other body was previously destroyed, if you'll recall. Maybe. Don't know. I don't recall. They find a silhouette in the other dimensions that looks suitable. It's really obviously the Hulk. I don't know why they don't know that. I know it. It looks like the Hulk. Come on, guys. Um, Shaman senses his daughter Talisman is in danger, so they run off to the mall where they are attacked by Guardian and Omega Flight. Guardian grabs Shaman's magic bag and turns it inside out, and John Byrne does some creative stuff with all sorts of lines and colors, and uh, the the magic bag threatens to destroy the world with John Byrne drawing goodness. Um, Talisman somehow is the only one who can stop it, says Shaman, by going into the bag. But she gets stuck there, though, because Snowbird shows up at the last second and Guardian um, grabs her by the throat and Shaman gets distracted. And he wants to help Talisman, but he also wants to help Snowbird. And he ends up abandoning Talisman to be trapped inside of the magic bag forever. The end. Whoa. Heavy. And Captain Britain number 10. It's only two issues left, I think. Uh, Captain Britain and Megan go to Africa to rescue Brian Braddock's brother, Jamie, say that fast five times, Brian Braddock's brother, Jamie, from Dr. Crocodile. Remember him? No. Me neither. Uh, Doc Croc makes Captain Britain hallucinate a lot, and it's mostly a kind of a hallucinatory issue. Um, but he eventually lets him go when he realizes that uh, Brian Braddock is a good man at heart. Jamie Braddock, on the other hand, turns out to be a slave trader and murderer, which Brian didn't know about. And once he figures that out, he's like, I hope they kill him and he leaves. Whoa. Um, and then it ends with Brian making out with Megan because he's so upset. It's a weird ending. But I, I guess they're lovers now, Brian and Megan. That was fast. As I recall from the Excalibur days, Brian Braddock is kind of like an emotional roller coaster of a man. That makes sense then. Yeah. So I, I don't think this is too out of character. New Defenders number 147. This was a really weird issue. Um, it was totally a filler issue. Um, there, uh, a while back, I covered an issue with these characters, Cutlass and Typhoon. Cutlass was like an, an old school kind of uh, Humphrey Bogart type character. And Typhoon was like a uh, silly kind of Asian stereotype mystic woman uh, with martial arts skills. You probably don't remember them. I can barely remember them, but they show up in this issue again, and it's kind of a one-off where Patsy Walker, Hellcat, and uh, Damon... Or Patsy Walker is Hellcat, I mean. And uh, Damon Hellstrom show up to partner with Beast and Gargoyle. Uh, Groucho Marx is also there. He's a full-time character in this issue. Not sure what's going on. Um, they're trying to find a mysterious artifact called the Lesser Great God. Um, looks like a... Oh, looks like a rutabaga animal. I guess it grants the owner immortality. Um, it's basically a wacky caper. Is it any, silly. any good? It's okay. I guess if you're really invested in the Defenders, it's like, ha, ah, it's another one of these kind of wacky issues. This one's got Groucho Marx. Hmm. Uh, it turns out that the none of the people that claim to have the Lesser Grey God or want the Lesser Grey God have it. And as everybody walks away, Groucho Marx is shining the hood ornament of his car, which is the lesser gray god. Wah, wah, wah. Ah, hilarious. Classic. <laughs> Hilarious. It was, it's, it, it, I don't know. It's, I, it was kind of enjoyable, but I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. Unless you're reading, unless you're really into New Defenders. Not at all. Well, then there you have it. <laughs> So with that, we'll talk about uh, a little bit about uh, Secret Wars 2, kind of get you up to speed. Not too much going on on the X-Men front, except for one 
Alison Blair, also known as the Dazzler. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. This issue's weird. They should have called this one Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Nope, it's called Love is the Answer. I know, but that's what they should have called it. And yes, uh, Steve Lealoha is inking along with uh, Paul Rubenstein. Now, is Sharon Ng a Marvel character? Because I feel like that name shows up again. No idea. something that I've read before. Like, is she like an X-Men character? Not that I know of. There's a Sharon Friedlander, Friedlander, Hmm. who turns into like, the female thing, right? I think. Or she, oh, okay. Was that Alicia? No, Alicia Masters doesn't do that, does she? As far as I know, Alicia Masters is still blind. Yeah, yeah. Things girlfriend. So, anyways, um, yeah. Unless separate, like I think currently in the Fantastic Four, she's dating Torch. Okay. Which is very upsetting for the thing. I imagine. So I am not aware of this Sharon Ng person, but uh, the Beyonder, he is intimately familiar with Sharon Ng. He is looking for love and he's getting it everywhere. But he, he, do, he doesn't... is essentially a, a looking, like experimenting with what love is in this issue. He And he doesn't know, he doesn't know, he, right? So he's he gets the love and then he's like, it's off. I got to brush my teeth and I'm out of here. And, uh, you know, the, like this Sharon Ng is like, will I see you again? Do you have a name? And he's all like, nope. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Takes off. He's still got a, a a thing for devices. So as he's flying around in his car, he's got all sorts of. I think there's like a Cuisinart in there, and he's got a CB radio and stuff like that. I, who is he chatting with? Or is he uh, just? He is, he's just recording his thoughts into like a tape machine or something. Yeah, and he's not sure why. <laughs> he senses uh, a presence at the bottom of the ocean and he restores it to life which i guess probably will do something in another comic this is like thor's arch enemy who thor recently bested or maybe bested a long time ago i have no idea what issue thor is on um apparently he is lingering to life uh solely on his desire for revenge on thor and that intrigues the beyonder so he brings him back to full strength so that he can go find thor and he's just going to keep track of him. He's scanning the rest of the world, I guess. And uh, some woman named Candy Adams is taken over by a dire wraith. Cindy Adams is a little Adams. girl. Um, I covered her a little bit in when we did ROM. Uh, she's got a dire wraith in her head. Yep. <laughs> she's she's hanging out with um, Brandy Clark and uh, uh, Rick Jones right now. And uh, she wants to be, well, Brandy wants to be reunited with Rom, her lover. Yeah, Brandy was formerly a a Rom herself, but she got it taken away from her by hybrid. I covered that as well. It was okay. (laughs) Thing is woeful. Um, He he covers uh, Silver Surfer and Captain America as well, but it's interesting. There's also a panel of United States President Ronald Reagan desires tax reform a certain way. Yeah, it's really weird and the panel itself is really weird like everybody else has got like full frame but this is like little ronald reagan head at the bottom of the panel <laughs> he looks very sad he does like i really want tax reform i mean the, the mm. beyonder is scanning the earth for people that are interesting their desires are interesting i, I don't see that as interesting <laughs> well ronald reagan is a very popular president so you know maybe he's just tapping into 
America's infatuation with whatever. I don't know. So anyway, some jets fly up there and they're like, hey, we found you on some sensors. We need to ground you. And they shoot at the Beyonder's car and uh, it crashes. And should uh, mention that it's a flying car if we haven't mentioned that. Stuff happens. And eventually the Beyonder goes and meets uh, up with Owen and uh, uh, what's her face? Marsha? Marsha. Volcano. Marsha. Volcano. Marsha heads off to go to do some yoga or something like that, and uh, they talk about love. And uh, uh, Owen, Molecule Man, Owen Reese, he's like, oh, I can't really tell you love. You feel it or tries to explain what love is, but he's not really doing it. I can only tell you about my experience with Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Love is always good, but it's nice when it's mutual. Right. It can make you happy. And the more you give, the more you have to give. It's amazing. It's limitless. Yeah. But just remember, Beyonder, love is only good if it's real. No cost, no obligation. Love gone wrong can be dangerous even to guys like us. I just realized that um, Owen Reese not only has these kind of electric shock lines on his face, but his upper lip is grafted into a electric shock line. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. I always thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I never noticed that until just now. Oh, yeah. So the Beyonder heads back to his hotel suite to find that, uh, what's-her-face-ing. Uh, gives Owen his catchphrase, I shall. Yeah. She has taken a whole bunch of pills, and she's left a note that she loves this man, and she can't live without him. Uh, and she's dead, but the Beyonder revives her and sobers her up and uh, says, like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for love. Beyonder, you came back to me. No, I simply came back. <laughs> Yeah. I want to experience real love. I must find a partner. One of these, perhaps. And uh, many, many different people and uh, males and females both appear. And the woman is like, hey, what are you doing? Some of them are men. And Beyonder's like, well, I'm not really male or female. Don't matter. Just look for love. And then he takes a female form, but he doesn't stay there very long. It's one panel. Yeah, he's like, yeah, but I adopted a male form first, so I'm used to it. And uh, and then I guess all of the people turn, you got like Aunt May in there. <laughs> I Is the black woman in there, is she supposed to be the dance instructor, um, uh, the X-Men dance instructor? What's her face? I don't think so. Oh, is I that? I think if anybody, it's that homeless lady from a couple episodes ago. Oh, it could be, yeah. But I don't, I don't know if it's a reoccurring character or not. No, Stevie Hunter. Stevie has Hunter, a that's it. Full head of hair, I thought. She's got like the um the corn rolls, the dreadlocks, but like this is like a this would be like a really bad drawing of Stevie Hunter if it's supposed to be Stevie Hunter. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe this woman up here is not supposed to be Aunt May, although I think whenever they draw a white-haired woman, it's always Aunt May. It looks exactly like <laughs> Aunt May. Well, that's the only reason I think that maybe that this woman is Stevie Hunter, but may- maybe it's not. I have no idea. There's a bunch of other women that don't really look like anybody in the Marvel Universe, so... Jubilee. Well, that d- exist yet. I do <laughs> see the Jubilee, so maybe... Maybe, um, yeah. Maybe they knew something before we did. It's just the sunglasses. Yeah. But out of all of those people, he singles out uh, a woman with blonde hair and a purple headband. We know her as the Dazzler. Sharon Ng says, why her? I'm as pretty as she is. What's wrong with me in the Beyonder? Showing that he really does not understand love, says, your love is not real. You bargained it away in return for how I make you feel. I only considered women whose love cannot be bought at any price. Um... I Either think, the Beyonder doesn't understand love or Jim Shooter doesn't. 
Well, I think the implication here is that uh, she only likes, loves the pleasure that the Beyonder can bring her. Yeah, I I get that. Okay. But it's, she just killed herself for the Beyonder. So, like, I think it goes a little bit beyond that based on her actions. Yeah. I could agree that maybe Jim Shooter just doesn't know how to write love. And he's trying real hard. He's like, oh, man, I got 24 pages to fill. Yeah, so she's very upset. She breaks a window and, uh, I don't know, goes about her life. Uh, meanwhile, when we last, 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 well, excuse me, when we last left the Dazzler. Hold on. Before we jump into where the Dazzler is, the Beyonder says that Dazzler stands out as a mutant and uh, perhaps the most powerful ever to walk this planet. That intrigues him. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's important. That's what? <laughs> well, it's important for the issue, but totally inaccurate. For context. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, we, we, we'll kind of see maybe what he's talking about a little later in the issue, I think. Well, it's like Jim Shooter has this grand idea of Dazzler that no one else has, has met or ever will meet. Right. So where we last left Dazzler, she was with um, O.C. Oh, I can't remember his name. <laughs> the bounty hunter guy. O.Z. Chase. There you go. O.Z. Chase and and his dog Cerebus. And they're just hanging out, talking about how she's about to be turned in and he's going to get his money. And then she gets poofed out of the passenger side of the car. Hey! Yep. And she's transported to an asteroid that's been done up like a fancy living room, and she's hosted by the Beyonder. Relax, you're still in the solar system. Dazzler attacks him as, you know, she would, right? And he's like, oh man, I gotta undo this flesh blind you did to me. Can I call you Allison? Call me a taxi. I want out of here. First, let me show you who I am. Look into my eyes. And so he does a little power thing on her and uh, feeds her all the backstory we pretty much already know. Giving her a glimpse of the universe as like she's never seen before. And she was like the Herald of Galactus for two minutes. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. That's probably the only reason she doesn't come out a drooling mess. Right. And she's like, well, uh, your portable hideaway isn't charming, but how about we put us back on Earth? And so he does, but he puts her in an igloo. And, and she crawls back inside the igloo when she realizes where she were, where she is, and the Beyonder is waiting for her inside naked underneath a bear skin. So he is, uh, again, he doesn't understand love or how you fall in love or any of this stuff so he's courting her the only way he knows how which is by doing a whole bunch of very powerful and confusing flashy things like transporting her to central park and having a horse-drawn carriage that he himself is driving but also he himself runs up and gives her flowers from what looks like a homeless man Yep. And then on the other side of the carriage he shows up again with a different set of flowers Another you? I don't believe this. Uh, and, and then he says, would you believe Rio at carnival time? And transports her to Rio for carnival. And she's like, this is spectacular. This is amazing. But wait a minute. This isn't normal. And then they're in Paris. And she says, would you please cut it out? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, she's she is like, let's cut it out. And, and so he transports her to a butt. <laughs> in, true, in true Gambit style, she says, I'm sorry, ma chérie. I'm just trying to make you smile. And yes, and then he does transfer to, I'm assuming 
the not just a butt, the butt. Yeah, it's got to be the say, the uh, makeout butt. There's only one butt in the Marvel universe, <laughs> yes. and we know that that's where Cyclops and Jean Grey were. It's the, the one where Angel was that one time in New Defenders, mm-hmm. and it's, now it's where the Beyonder has taken Dazzler. Yeah, it's where magic happens, and uh, she does. She fall in love with him, or I mean, they kiss. Yeah, he says he he remembers her from the first day he was back in issue one, and that he was very foolish. And after all of this, I think she's just kind of taken aback, and he gives her a kiss, and she's like, "I guess they do it," because she wakes up naked in the bed the next morning. Yeah, I feel bad for Dazzler. <laughs> I mean, all of these issues, she's, like, used and abused and tossed around by these guys. She will get written by Chris Claremont eventually and things will get better. But, yeah, for for so far, it's just, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, and I don't know if it's her because she seems like a pretty, you know, strong, headstrong woman. But she just keeps getting into these situations with these terrible men. But I think we learn why. Well, I think the real terrible men in this cases just the writers of these comic books <laughs> yeah probably right so it's, it's like they really want to have strong female characters but jim shooter clearly does not have a clue nope so yeah she she does wake up naked and she's like oh man where am i and more importantly how did i get here i'm gonna assume they didn't do it they they just made out on the butt for a while <laughs> Maybe. Because she says, uh, you must have fallen asleep. The master brought you here. We put you to bed. So they didn't fall into bed together. Okay. Um, they just they apparently had a busy day. All right. So she goes downstairs. There's a band playing. He's got like freshly squeezed orange juice and some freshly made breakfast. And he's asking her like, how are you? And she's like, this is wonderful. Everything's wonderful. You're wonderful. It's just kind of overwhelming. I know. I've decided to work on that. He's a very positive guy. Well, he's all powerful. So now he wants to play by the rules and he wants to get her a gift. But rather than just like conjuring it with his uh, powers, he he would like to go earn that gift. While I'm gone, feel free to use my complete music library, sound equipment and recording studio. I also have a staff of musicians and even instructors on standby for your convenience. Record an album. See ya. But and he's gone. And then in a weird cameo that takes place in between issues, the issue of Alpha Flight that I just covered and the one that I will cover next two episodes, the Beyonder shows up and after fighting Alpha Flight for a little bit, pulls Talisman out of the magic bag. Remember how I mentioned she was trapped in the magic bag? Forever. Forever? Yeah. Well, Beyonder just pulls her out. Yeah, well, so that's he- done. He makes the the bag like super large, and because the bag is super large, she can just be pulled out. And he's like, he's like, Whoa. I need a favor, and here's your advance payment, your daughter. <laughs> yeah, and so he gets a ring out of the bag, I think, and then he gives the bag yeah. back to Talisman. And he's like, Whoa, we gotta talk, and Beyonder leaves. Not sure why he needed a bag for like uh, a ring from this bag, but I guess it works. Who's writing Alpha Flight right now? John Byrne. So I think it would be. Like hilarious if John Byrne had kind of like this this long arc about Shaman's daughter and it involved this bag and forever and how they were going to get around this situation and Jim Shooter's like hey I'm going to use that and just pulls her out of the bag and and John Byrne's like months of planning down the drain I had this whole thing planned out half the next issue's drawn we got to throw it out although I'm sure the whole thing was planned ahead of time 
I still think it'd be funny if Secret Wars was nothing more than Jim Shooter just messing with everybody's storyline. <laughs> Didn't that happen with the Fantastic? Like uh, uh, in the Fantastic Four, something important happened that only happened in Secret Wars too, as well. I forget what it. Like somebody got shot or something. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, that would, that would be. And that was John Byrne too. So I kind of feel like John Byrne is just feeding. Jim Shooter storylines. <laughs> hey, why don't you have uh, Beyonder show up and help Talisman out of the bag? I don't know how to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote myself into a corner. How, how about you have the Beyonder fix it? Okay. So he appears, uh, the Beyonder appears back in the park. Um, Allison's mad. She wants to leave, I guess. Um, she's going to fly herself back to New York. So the Beyonder makes them appear in New York and he's provides her with the ring and she said, look, I... Just stop it. Stop Stop teleporting me. And he, after all that, he just says, uh, she said she doesn't want any more trips or presents. And he just throws away the ring and says, okay, it's just a trinket. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe in the pages of the next Alpha Flight, he shows up to put uh, Shaman's daughter back into the bag. Sorry, didn't work out. She's got to go back in the bag. No. Well, I wonder if this ring ever, like anything ever happens with this ring or if it's just a random aside that means nothing. I don't know. Other than somehow a way to get uh, Talisman out of the bag. So Dazzler's like, look, don't get me wrong. Yesterday was really beautiful, beautiful beyond words. I get chills just thinking about it. And I know I could very easily just lose myself in you, but I've got a life to live and I've got to get back to my dreams. And uh, He's like, I know! <laughs> he's very excited and happy about this. <laughs> like, I can help! And so... He teleports her onto her very own Stadium Rocks show stage where Dazzler's name is up on lights and there's everybody's like there to see her rock out. And and the Beyonder says, this is real. These are real people. I was very careful to do this correctly. I printed and sold tickets. (laughs) Yes. And she's like, no, but I don't I want this, but I don't want it this way. Please put me back where we were. And so she does, or he does. Shall I call you a taxi, he says. And she says, no, just let me do it my way. You're just too all-powerful. And that's when the Avengers show up and they attack. Uh, they're aggressively attacking the Beyonder. And the Beyonder's uh, defending himself, but he's just like, oh, look, I'm trying to be a good guy. And why, why are you guys doing this? And they're just hitting him left and right. And the Beyonder's not even doing anything to defend himself. And eventually the Beyonder's on his knees. And that's when Dazzler comes in and she's like, stop. Stop, I'm- you stupid Avengers. He doesn't deserve this. And uh, Beyonder's like, oh, man, if it wasn't for you, i.e. he was maybe at a weak moment and the Avengers could have finished him off. Yeah, he transport he, and, and because Dazzler intervened, he's able to transport them back to the butt. Yeah. And, and that's where the Beyonder admits, all right, I admit it. They weren't the real Avengers. I faked it. Dazzler's kind of like, man, those Avengers were like belligerent. Even Captain America was usually so nice. And yeah, Beyonder's like, yep, that was all me. Readers of the Avengers are uh, aware that the Avengers are in space right now. So they wouldn't be here. Probably we were Avengers readers going like, this makes no sense. And then like, 
Oh. So Dazzler's like, look, you told me earlier that I'm just a speck of protoplasm to you, remember? And you're something else. Yeah. I can fix that. <laughs> Very excitedly and happy once again. And so he gives Dazzler a fraction, uh, half actually, of his power. and Which, uh, is, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so they... they uh, they make out amongst the stars. They're deities. They're gods. They're everything and they're nothing. And Dazzler's like, no, I don't want this. And so they head back down to Earth. And as they're f- falling to the ground, uh, you know, they're fighting and uh, kicking at one another. Dazzler says, I don't want, I, I-, I won't trade my love, my soul for this. I don't want your power. Out, out. And uh, she's, she's too high up in the air. Uh, but when she gives back... Beyonder's power, she falls to the ground and dies. Yeah, she is just as powerful as the Beyonder now, so she is able to take the power out of herself and transfer it back to the Beyonder, but then she's like really high up in the air and she falls to her death. It's my fault. She wasn't used to the power. Her perception hadn't adjusted. She didn't know how high up she is. Now she's dead, but worse than that, she doesn't love me. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. How could she do this to me? And he angrily blows some stuff up in kind of a Dark Phoenix moment. Absolutely. He blows up a universe, or a galaxy, rather. The thing that Jim Shooter was so mad that Phoenix did, he now has the Beyonder do. Although, he's got no desires for redemption of the Beyonder. <laughs> so, but It was an unpopulated galaxy. Yeah, of course. Um, and he resurrects uh, Dazzler, and then Dazzler's like, oh, being dead made me... <laughs> Realize I love you and I miss you and I'm totally and completely and sincerely yours. And she says, you never told me your name. What should I call you? And he says, a taxi? She says, good enough, a taxi. Let's get married, huh? Please. I bet they have some nice wedding gowns right here in this shopping center. And the Beyonder rolls and he's like, yeah, all right, let's do that. And a crowd is gathered for some reason. And, and uh, Beyonder takes her up and says, well, let's get some space. And she's like, oh, you're so wonderful. I'll never get over you and I'll never get over it. And then Beyonder finally chalks it up and says, I can't go through with this. I'm making you act the way you're acting. You don't really love me. Oh, don't be silly, darling. I love you more than... No. No. I release your mind, Dazzler. Oh. In a moment, you will forget all that happened. You will believe that we simply had a grand adventure together, an adventure that has ended. And then I shall return you whence I found you, and it will be my turn to try and forget. I mean, the Beyonder, at very very least, could be like, hey, I'm going to return you somewhere. Where would you like to go? Because, I mean, he's just going to return her to OZ Chase's passenger seat, where she was going to be taken to Los Angeles for a bounty. Well, you know, the Beyonder doesn't really get the details of things so he just kind of assumes that she was probably where she needed to be he doesn't do research <laughs> yeah that's probably what it is so there you go that so is uh secret wars sharon ing is apparently i think she said she was going to try to get revenge so okay very curious about this character perhaps she will make uh her revenge known in the pages of secret wars 2 i believe the next issue has x-men in it yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> but next, and finally, we have three very long, arduous issues of Longshot. Well, the the last one was long. It was even a double-sized issue long. And I got to be honest, so I read the first 
well, issue four. And I was like, okay, it's all right. You know, because you get some mojo and She-Hulk's in there and Spider-Man. And then issue five just dragged. And at the I end said, of- the only part I didn't like about four was the She-Hulk and Spider-Man stuff. Because really? it didn't, it, it just seemed like it was shoehorned in. It, and, yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. Number five was pretty like i was falling asleep while i was reading it and then at the end of number five it says uh stay tuned for the exciting double-sized conclusion i was like double sized oh you're killing me so really this is like a seven-part miniseries (laughs) double-sized goes from 22 pages to like 42 so it's not was it oh yeah okay it's not oh. truly double sized because it should have been more, but it's still forty some odd pages. I wonder why they just didn't make it a seven part series. Oh. I mean, I guess it must have been popular, right? No, they did that. <laughs> I mean, no, it can't have been. So I noticed something in this batch that I didn't notice the first time. On the covers in the Marvel box, the first issue starts with Longshot and Pup, and he's his regular size. And every issue, he's gotten incrementally larger. Kind of neat. Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah, check them all out. So yeah, th- uh, this is not this is not a good series. The art's good. I like you know it's got good good art. Adam's art, but man, stories. <laughs> it's it's not bad. I mean, if I was a kid and I came across this, I would probably be confused a little <laughs> bit. But at the same time, I would be like, this is. This is unlike anything else, and that would either turn me on or turn me off. I can't say. I haven't been a kid in a while. But I imagine that, like, either I would be like, wow, this is like unlike anything I've ever read and be, like, into it, or be like, oh, this is unlike anything I've ever read, and I hate it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, but I can definitely say from reading this, it's not like any other – it's not written like any other comic book. It's – there's a lot of unnecessarily un- unnecessarily di- dialogue unnecessary dialogue that kind of is trying to shoehorn in all these concepts that no, don't kind of clash. It's it's strange, right? Um, a couple of things that I want to uh, to talk about before we get into this. Uh, first, Longshot is maybe one of the first characters with a lot of pouches. I think. I- Mentioned that last last long shot summary. Yeah, but the thing that made me think about this is I was at the mall the other day and I was at Hot Topic and you could buy a belt of pouches. Really? And I thought <laughs> of long shot. I was like, man, long shot. And then of course, you know, uh, Rob Liefeld, et cetera. But like, I I could own this and it'd be a belt that holds up my pants and I'd have like eight pouches that I could put, you know, and they're, they're totally uh, uselessly sized. Like you can't even put like a deck of cards in them because they're too small for that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, they were the pouches. So that exists. Did you buy them? No. But they were neat. Uh, they felt a little cheap. So, you know. Did you try them on? Uh, I, I did, but I, I had like a coat on and stuff. So it, di- it didn't go all the way around my, my waist. Uh, right. I imagine if I would have had my coat off and like I was like running it through my belt loops, it probably would have would have fit. But uh, need to go back, <laughs> yeah, with a with a pre planned outfit, yep, that, that works with these pouches. Take some photos and post them to the website. They they were black pouches, so I, I'd have to find something I think that contrasts. I have to I'd have to like wear white pants or something, and I yeah, I don't own white pants. Figure out an outfit. The other thing is, uh, our, uh, I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 the other day. Okay. And uh, one of the characters, the main character, I think it's the main character. Or maybe main the main character is Freddy Krueger. Okay. Well, the, the main not Freddy Krueger, and it's not him. It's the main not Freddy Krueger's friend has a Lee Mall poster in his bedroom. What's that? 
or Milal, the guy that uh, uh, Longshot is based on. Oh, okay. Isn't it Lee, Lee Mall? I don't remember. Okay. Well, that guy. And so prominently featured in this bedroom is basically, you know, Longshot haircut. Cool. Yeah. And- Is that, is that Johnny Depp? Uh, no, Johnny Depp was in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. This oh, was, I thought you said the first one. No, Sorry. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Okay. And this totally relates to nothing, but there's a U2 poster featured in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. Hmm. Yeah. I don't. I wonder Did, if they had to license that. Are you going to watch the new documentary that Robert England is producing? Oh, I didn't know that one existed. But yeah, I mean, if it comes on my radar, I'll watch it. It's, uh, it's about the makeup artistry that went into the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So I got to be honest, like, obviously, I've been watching them lately because... Uh, well, they've been on... Are you familiar with the L. Ray Network? Nope. Oh, the L. Ray Network is a network that was kind of started by Robert Rodriguez. And it's, oh, okay. it's kind of... It's not Grindhouse, but it's named after the L. Ray character from... Uh, what was it? Uh, Planet Terror. And so they show... I haven't seen that in so long. <laughs> well, okay. The main character is Ray. L. Ray. You don't remember that? Nope. Okay. Anyways, uh, so there you go. And, and they show... Uh, their main staple of shows is like Miami Vice, Airwolf, but they show a lot of movies and they show, uh, they have commercials, but they're also uncut. And so for Valentine's Day, they did a Nightmare on Elm Street marathon for some reason. Hmm. And uh, I have Sling TV so I can like watch, I don't have to watch them as they air, I can watch them time shifted or later on. And yeah. Part of the draw of this documentary is that Robert England is getting under the Freddy makeup one last time. Is he? Just for this documentary. No. Because <laughs> I saw that Nightmare on Elm Street remake, and it was not Robert England, and wasn't quite the same feel. But uh, as I've been watching these movies, i got to be honest, for, for, for what they are, the time that they were made, like the makeup effects and uh, uh, and stuff, are they're actually pretty good. Yeah, I think kind of one of the, one of the ideas behind the documentary is saying that like makeup practical effects are kind of better than CGI. There's a, there's a lot of, especially in uh, like three and four where they, it's really not so much about the story or the characters. It's a lot about the practical, you know, effects, the, the rubber suits and the animatronics and puppetry and all the other stuff that's going on to create a real effect rather than just doing it in post, which I gather, and I didn't actually see the remake that you just talked about, but I gather the, some of the special effects of the Freddy face were done with CGI. Maybe <laughs> it was a, uh, I don't know. It, I, yeah. I saw the remake and uh, I just got done and not, I mean, not recently, but when I finished watching, it, I was like, I wonder why they remade this. Just, didn't seem to need a remake, but, you know. Friday the 13th, part 13 was announced and then shortly after canceled. Eh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that series has been run into the ground. <laughs> I was very disappointed in the Friday the 13th remake because I thought they could have done anything with it other than what they did, which was basically make a 2000s version of an 80s movie. Isn't there a TV show now? Friday the 13th? I thought there was like a new TV show. There's based the old, on well, there was the old TV show which had nothing to do mostly with right. Mostly had nothing to I, do with at all. I, wasn't there an episode that featured Jason, or is that uh, just my imagination? I think that's your imagination. Okay. Well, I guess this series is supposed to take place in Crystal Lake. Okay. But then, and and the guy who produced or wrote or directed uh, uh, the first movie is, I guess, producing it. Hmm. Oh, but I uh, thought uh, it already happened, so maybe it just never happened. Yeah, minor something minor is his name. Okay. Yeah, he he's been milking that that thing since day one. 
Why not? Wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I would. I definitely would. But he was the same guy that was responsible for the final Friday one where Jason's like a ghoul that goes from body to body, if you remember that one. I have not seen... Uh, the only one I've seen entirely was Jason X. What? You haven't seen As all I, of them? I haven't... Uh, no, I just said. The only one that I've seen from beginning to end is Jason X, which I enjoyed quite a lot. So you're telling me you haven't seen all of them? <laughs> I haven't seen any of them except for the one. Does not compute. <laughs> Man, I've seen all of them like four times. <laughs> I have a book that goes through each one. I did watch that like 10 hour long documentary about them though. I watched so that I as well. I feel like I've seen them. Eh, it's probably all you need to see it really is that. Do the documentary is probably better than all of those movies combined. <laughs> okay. Uh, long shot. Um <laughs> Yeah, I could summarize this in a few sentences, but I think you have more to say about it than I do. Well, there's two main plot points. Um, there's Longshot meets a bunch of kids and confronts um, Pup or Gog Magog. Yeah, there's also the something other... about Marvel Comics in here, so it's self-referential. There is? Isn't there like a, they go to like the comic store and it's a Marvel comic store. Oh, is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty forgettable. So the first story has Longshot trying to give away the diamonds still, and no one will take them because they're hot, which he doesn't understand. Well, everybody also thinks that they're fake. Like, why would this man be giving away diamonds? Right. So he finally just gives them away to some kids um, who end up buying a gun with it. Yeah, we uh, we also get to meet Mojo. Like, we were speculating, like, I wonder if Mojo's in this. And he absolutely is in this back half of the story and, and that's I, the other big story which was frankly the best part of these three issues yes uh issue four like i really really like the dynamic between uh mojo and major domo just the way that they're written uh they definitely have very distinct personalities and they've yeah. maintained those personalities at least through everything i've uh read but uh yeah i mean joe is just completely insane he's off the wall he's constantly uh giving out orders and then wondering why people are following them uh, like he has everybody he wants everybody to look like himself so Major Domo makes all these masks that are Mojo masks and then all the monsters from previous issues come in wearing those masks and that's really funny yeah. And then um, he's like, why are you wearing my face? Take off my face. And he kills some of them because <laughs> he has no idea why they're wearing his face. And uh, you know, Major Domo just reminds me of just that, I don't even know, like apathetic kind of hoity-toity guy who nothing shakes him because through all this he's just like whatever whatever you need darling i'm here for you spirals kind of that way too not as not as much like not as much of like a, a, a characterization as major domo but she kind of they both kind of treat mojo like he's a spoiled brat right uh, the difference, though, is that Spiral has got like this real hang up for Longshot, like something uh, there's something in their past or something that we don't know about. And we don't even actually find out in this miniseries, but she must have her revenge or his head or something. There's a lot that we don't find out from this miniseries that they allude to. Um, pointless cameos by She-Hulk and Spider-Man that kind of knock Longshot around and just generally confuse him uh, talk mojo all, they all talk about his luck so really yeah. really boy big. he sure is lucky 
beating home. We also get a spiral in her first appearance of her classic outfit, the blue with the white fur boots and the metal helmet. Um, We learn that spiral, well, we learn that Mojo says that he created Spiral, uh, but she, she was accidentally given six arms instead of two arms. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, but I don't know. There's also some other stuff we learn about these these creatures like that Mojo says that he's created that maybe maybe he didn't actually create them and maybe he just says he did. Yeah, he says a lot of stuff that he contradicts, so anything goes, I guess. Really? Anything goes. And that's kind of why uh, I like the Mojo character, especially throughout this series, because he's just crazy. He just says yeah. whatever. He, yeah. He's he's Donald Trump. <laughs> he's the universe's <laughs> Donald Trump. He just says I was thinking stuff. that, too, and, and I was, I was going to say it, but I you, decided not to. You said that Nimrod was Donald Trump? I don't think so. I, I think that, that Mojo is the Donald Trump, because he says it, people believe it, and then he's like, yeah. And then when people do the things that he's like, wait a minute, and then he just kills them. I mean, I guess Donald Trump hasn't done that. <laughs> but <laughs> that's, uh, if I if we ever do a voice for Mojo, I, I think he gets the Trump voice. <laughs> two listeners were just like, this is political, I don't want this, and they just... They just quit. There's only two, though. So now we have three listeners left. Okay. We've still got those three. <laughs> We're going to hang on to them. This is for you three. So anyways, yeah. So uh, the Gog Magog or Pop or whatever, he through each issue, he continues to evolve into a, a more grotesque monster. When Longshot meets up with the kids and he, he sees that they bought a gun, he uses his secondary mutant power, which is to read the essence of items that he is holding. Did we see that in the first three issues? Yeah, because okay. in the first issue, he does it with the Dow. Oh, yeah. Can I ask, uh, the powers that we have seen Longshot display thus far are luck and psychic impressions, right? Is there anything else we've seen him do? And acrobatic, um, but that doesn't count. Healing, I guess, but that's generally a mutant thing. Well, wait, he's not a mutant, though, is he? He's just an alien, I think. Yeah, I think he's just an alien. Right, he did heal himself. Did he heal somebody else, or did he just heal himself? I don't think he healed anybody else. Okay. Anyhow, yeah, so the... There's another There's another flashback here where he's he's remembering that the Spineless Ones were his creators, continuing from the previous one, and... He says that he had become much more to them, too free to be a slave, and that they mind-wiped him. And this is the first use of the term mind-wipe. Yeah. A mind-wipe. So. He spends a great deal of time lamenting and talking about how he is a creation of the spineless ones and a slave and all of this stuff. And then we find out. very upset to realize that we did not invent the the term mind-wipe for our show. I'm sorry, everyone. I think uh, if we apply Schrodinger's law, is that what it is? Like, we didn't know that it existed, therefore we created it. Okay. Yeah? Isn't that so how that works? Sent, stole it from us? <laughs> in, in the past, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we don't know it exists and we say it, how are we not the creators of it? We're just not the original creators of it. Okay. <laughs> sure, we'll just go with that. Anyways, um... What else can we say here? Um, uh, we never really understand. I, I in a Gog Magog shows up and um, he's just kind of sucking magic out of the planet. Um, and he decides to stay back um, in order to continue to do this. Like, ever, like all the other monsters, he got accidentally trapped on this world 
with Longshot, but he wants to stay, and he doesn't even know why he hates Longshot anymore. Um, he just wants to kill him. Uh, Mojo and Spiral kidnap Ricochet Rita and essentially drive her insane. Yeah, they, they tie her to the front of a space boat and fly it around the universe showing her everything. And it's this is kind of a neat idea. It's so much for her to take in and it's so fast that she develops a permanent soundless scream. And then they pontificate about what that must be like for someone to permanently and completely be screaming, but for that scream to be soundless. And they pontificate about it at least for like four separate panels. Oh, a lo- yeah, there's a lot of filler of them talking about this. But, you know, the first time they brought it up, I was like, oh, this is a neat idea. And then the second and third yeah. time, I was like, okay, you're beating this horse to <laughs> a dead. Like, yeah, it's, exactly. It's like, yeah, this was a pretty cool idea. And... Then they just keep pushing it on. Let's let's move on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, eventually Dr. So Strange shows up. We, we, we do eventually get to meet Arise. We learned about him. He is the genetic the creator of the clones. And it is learned that he embedded a sense of freedom into a long shot that would enable him to um, get all the slaves together to... I think he embedded this genetic flaw or whatever into all of the quote-unquote slaves, but it was particularly powerful in Longshot. So Longshot is is the one to, the chosen one, if you will, to awaken all of this this genetic defect in all the slaves so that they can rise up against their spineless masters. In other words, Mojo did not create all of these people. Uh, Arise did, but I think Mojo contracted Arise to create these slaves. Right. Yeah, really weird. But that's kind of a neat idea, kind of. So so then, so now Longshot's like, okay, so I wasn't, like, created by Mojo to be a slave. Even though I was created to be a slave, there's more to me than just slave. I don't know, he does a lot of talking about himself in this issue, in these issues. Arise gives a sort of back history about how he was once one of, I don't, I don't know if he was one of the spineless beings, but... He figured out how to get the spineless beings to be able to walk, and they were like, nah, we don't have time for that. And then the community of people, the spineless ones and the ones who could walk, uh, the spineless ones became the dominant beings, and and that's when Mojo becomes the leader and hires Arise to create the slaves and Ar- based on some sort of mythology. Arise is – I thought that was a whole uh, – a neat thing that, that – his two species went two different ways. And even arises like somehow the spineless ones became the dominant species because right. they were spineless. They couldn't stand up and walk around under their own power. I said there was a, there was a funny line about being spineless and I, I'll see if I can find it. But um, yeah, Dr. Strange shows up and also this uh, goat headed guy named Quark shows up and together they all defeat Gog Magog. Yeah, I I felt like Gog Magog's story was ended prematurely or it went on too long. It didn't really seem to go anywhere or have a purpose. And that's kind of the main this 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 whole thing feels like it was sort of they were winging it and yeah. then they would come up with a different idea and then they would focus on that. Like I almost feel like they got to the part with Mojo and then like, "Oh, this is what I want to write about. This is way cooler than what we've already done." <laughs> Let's just wrap up that other story so we can focus on this this thing because this is this is good. It almost feels like they're just kind of figuring it out as they go, which sort of works and sometimes and mostly doesn't. 
I, yeah, I'd say that mostly. There's 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 uh, uh, glimmers of I don't want to say genius, but of interesting ideas sprinkled. Yeah, there's this there's issue. a lot of great ideas, great concepts. Uh, Anna Senti is not reeling it all in, I guess. Yeah. And of course, maybe there's some Marvel method here at play where Art Adams is drawing a whole bunch of stuff and she's like, ah, man. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird panels here that make me believe that there's there, the Marvel method doesn't make sense for this, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they had a meeting, they left, and when they got back together, Anne's like, I, we talked and I don't know what you did here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I was thinking, you know, Doctor Strange and Gog Magog and... Mojo and Arise. All right. I'll just put a heck of a lot of dialogue to explain everything. <laughs> and some of it will contradict itself, but, you know, as long as all the concepts are in there. Mojo and Spiral go to Earth, and, and that's weird. But apparently the fuel or whatever powers their uh, transport, or maybe just Mojo himself, kills all life as he passes by it. Yeah, that he's, he he's has some sort of... Everything he looks at gets killed. So they uh, they they go to this little city, and and Mojo decides that this is where they're going to build a citadel to Mojo. He loves all the life that he sees, even though he's killing it all, and he wants it. He wants his planet to be his, and so he he basically uses most of his power to uh, take over the townspeople to build this citadel. Um, and that causes him to get a little bit weak, which Spiral points out like, hey, you shouldn't use all your powers. You're going to become weak. Somehow by building the citadel, his all his power is in the citadel. So he's more powerful when he's at the citadel. Right. Uh, Ricochet, Rita, and Longshot eventually get reunited, but she's got this permanent scream thing going on. And uh, now it's time, you know, uh, the goat guy and long shot like it ends here. They put on their cowboy hats and they head off to go have a final conflict with Mojo. But uh, the goat guy, he's a little conflicted because he comes face to face with an earth goat. And he's like, oh, man, long shots like these men who, who are free thinking and upright. And, and I'm like this beast. Mojo made me to be a beast. Everybody treats me like a beast. I don't know what I'm going to do. So he kind of also doesn't like the way that people are treating him. He doesn't know if people are worth saving. And he's really, there's, there's, I kind of like the, uh, the fact that he's like a gloomy Gus sort of Eeyore type character uh, to contrast long shots. Um, Happy. Positivity. Gold. They, 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 uh, they definitely drive that home too. Yeah. So eventually, you know, the long shot and uh, the beast goat guy, they meet up with, um, with Spiral and Mojo and uh, Longshot has a chance to kill Mojo, but he can't do it. And uh, he laments that for a very long time. He talks about it a lot. Yeah, the Longshot parts were probably the least interesting in these because he just does a lot of... And it's not that he's self-reflective. It's just that it doesn't seem to go anywhere. If somebody, I can't remember if it's Mojo or or maybe the goat guy, they talk about a wife and a possible family. But it's never oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's never really confirmed whether or not that is actually a thing. Longshot even asks, like, do I have a family? And I think Goatman's like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so maybe it was Mojo. And so since Mojo said it, it you don't know if he's just messing with them or if there really is like a, a Mrs. Longshot somewhere. Mojo also says that Spiral has terrible taste in men, alluding to the fact that she's in love with Longshot, which is 
Well, I'm almost never really. Yeah. Well, I think it does. I don't know if it gets dealt with, but it gets this gets referenced again. Um, I almost wonder if the original intention was for Spiral to be Longshot's husband, and she uh, resents him because he left her for whatever reason and now doesn't remember her. And so whatever love they had, it was seemingly meaningless to Longshot. Maybe. I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Anyways, uh, they eventually have their big showdown and Longshot uses his luck to kick Mojo into a dimensional portal. I like this uh, Mojo towards the end says, how dare you know my secrets? Backbones are for the weak. I shall always be spineless. Funny. He tells uh, Spiral to come with him, but she's like, nah, I don't want to. And he's like, I'll fix your arms. I'll build you your own long shot to play with. Ricochet Rita eventually has coped and healed from her from her psychic wounds. And she's like, her uh, long shot now wants to, to jump through the same dimensional portal to save his people. Uh, Goatman's like, okay, I'm with you. I'll get over this beast thing. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And Ricochet is like, I got nothing here. I'm coming with you. This dimensional portal can't hurt me because I've already seen the entirety of the universe and I'm fine. So they're going to go off and uh, their plan is Longshot would like to bring all of the people of whatever planet he's from to Earth so that they can all see that there's non-slave humanoid type people, which I think is a terrible idea. It's not a very well thought out plan. And Doctor Strange here, he's, remember, he's here. He's like, well, he's going to clean up the mess. He's going to, like, try to fix up the church and the people and all that sort of stuff so they don't have too much psychic trauma. But he's like, imagine a whole planet of long shots on the Earth. Is Earth ready for that? Uh, Who knows? That seems like it would be, like, a, a planetary disaster for a whole species of aliens to just arrive on Earth and walk around. Well, luckily, this is the end of the series, so that none of that happens. Yeah. And so you do get kind of a penciled illustration of Ricochet Rita, the uh, what's-his-face goat guy. Quark. Quark and Longshot heroically looking towards the future. Maybe this was supposed to start an interstellar mojo versus Longshot people series. Uh, We know that it didn't. Dr. Strange says, moments like these, I truly understand our frailty. One instant the world is at peace, the next a being like Mojo reverses the course of nature and almost destroys us. It could happen again, any second. But for now, the flowers bloom again. The natural world will not be destroyed, after all. And perhaps another world is about to be saved. Very optimistic. So, anyways, uh, interesting ideas. Uh, good, good, great art. Um introducing some some well i would actually say well thought out characters between uh spiral major domo and mojo oh yeah chris claremont is gonna take all this stuff and run with it oh yeah absolutely but uh quark gog magog and even long shot none of those characters are really all that compelling and what's interesting is like we'll obviously see long shot again within the pages of the x-men but i don't know how much of this material is referenced by by that well it's pretty clear that they're because of the amount of answers they didn't give us that there was supposed to be a follow-up to this and i don't know if if this was originally part of the plan that chris claremont wasn't going to take most of these characters because i think spiral spiral shows up in X-Men. I think the next issue we're going to cover, actually. Yeah, and so, and I don't know how she transitions from what she's doing right now to to what she's going to be doing. And I don't know that, I don't know that we're going to get a clear answer on that. Well, from a, from a 
chronological publishing point of view, this series came out six months at the, I think, from like September of 1985 to February of 1986. And the next issue, uh, 199 of X-Men, takes place in November. So a couple issues of Longshot have already come out when Spiral is introduced into the Uncanny X-Men. Weird. I don't know if they're going to reference. The, they'll, they'll probably mention something. Um, Here's, yeah, I'm going to go after Longshot. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll have to pay closer attention to that. But it's, I don't know, and I've read a lot of these X-Men issues uh, multiple times. I don't know how, how this happens. I don't know how she makes the transition from mojo creation to being a part of the uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I well, don't... We'll find out. The other thing I would speculate is that um, I feel like Chris Claremont and the X-Men are kind of the catch-all for heroes that don't make it in their own series. It feels like Chris Claremont loves to take other people's ideas and strengthen them almost, kind of do his own twist on it, which maybe he has a little bit more space to to make them soar a bit more. I mean, we, we talked uh, about Ms. Marvel to death and, and what he did with that character that had been so poorly trashed by other writers. Yeah, I feel like Brian Michael Bendis does this currently, like he'll take other people's ideas and bring them into his stuff. And I think that's like a, one of the secrets of comic book writing is just finding things that are compelling and making them work for what you're working on. So somehow there's that extra factor that makes that interesting because of the fact that it didn't come from that place originally. I don't know. I, I For me, it, it, I really think it's neat and I really am drawn to that type of thing. So what you're saying is don't create anything. Just take people's lesser popular ideas and make them better. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that is my advice to uh, comic book writers. <laughs> <laughs> don't create anything. Just steal other people people's ideas and make them better. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, we know that Dazzler is about to get canceled and then show up in the X-Men, and we should know that Longshot is soon to show up in the X-Men. So, all right, well, that's it, man. If you want to reach out to us and let us know what you think, uh, do so. You can visit us at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com. Uh, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast we're at danger room go on the twitters you can email us at danger room at redcapproductions.com go out to itunes uh type in danger room and uh we're the first podcast that shows up of that name and uh you can call us also at 501 get x-men which is four three eight nine six three six uh yeah our theme music has been presented by laszlo hollyfeld anything else you want to add adam nah all right, then until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Mm-hmm.